welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. I want to share something that I've entitled today, Attitude. Everyone say Attitude. Like just be a little bit American now that the, the Lakers won. Who was going for the Lakers? Come on. So we, we're going to talk about attitude or attitude. Attitude or attitude, whatever. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Because attitude in and of itself is neutral. Attitude is not good or bad. What makes attitude good or bad is our attitude towards the attitude that we adopt. And uh, I have a dictionary definition here of what the word attitude means. And it simply means a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something. In other words, you've settled it. And we need people in the body of Christ that have settled some things. And I hope tonight will be a moment where we draw a line in the sand... And say, I'm, I'm settling some things tonight. And my behavior is not going to be out of rule and ritual and legalistic um, obedience. But my behavior is going to come out of a, a set of values I've put in place. And something I've settled tonight. And I trust if you have settled these things, you'll be encouraged to stay settled in the things that you've decided some years ago. Because attitudes are extremely important and they are powerful and they form the foundation for our behavior. Have you got that? Without us changing our behavior, sorry, our our attitude toward things and the way we see things, We will only ever at best just become religious and try to do the right thing. I don't want you to become religious. I don't want you just try and do the right thing and to be a good Christian. That's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about having a heart change where we see things differently. And as a result of seeing things differently, our attitude changes. And as a result of our attitude changes, our behavior changes. In other words, we don't want to be people that just do what the Bible says, but begrudgingly. Jesus said to the Pharisees, which was a bunch of religious people, Jesus doesn't like religion. You need to know that. And we in this church, we don't like religion. Because religion has got nothing to do with Christianity. And Jesus spoke to these religious people. He said, you guys, you tithe, but you don't have love in your heart. And Jesus didn't say stop tithing and start loving. He said you should tithe but you should do it with love in your heart. In other words, your attitude towards your giving should change. And that's what this is all about tonight. Our attitude to things. Our attitude establishes what is acceptable or unacceptable behavior. In other words... You can have a job to do, and, and we give our kids certain chores to do, and, and uh, our oldest daughter, Geordie, she's beautiful, she's amazing, and, and, and she just does so much. That's why I can use her as an example, because she does so much. But there are times when she's packing the dishwasher, and most times, to be honest, she's got an incredible attitude. But you know what? If her attitude's not good, I know it's not good, because it always sounds different when she's packing the dishes. 
And there's usually a few more chips on the cups and chips on the plate when she's got a bad attitude toward packing the dishwasher. Does that make sense? And so what we don't want is chipped cup obedience in church. We want joyful obedience, which comes from a good attitude. See, God is not pleased just without obedience. Just like myself as a natural father is not pleased with our kids when they are just obedient. They know in our home, if you have a, if you have a, a, a fight or an altercation or an argument with one of the siblings, you must say sorry. They know that. But also, it's not enough just to say sorry with a bad attitude. And so sometimes they'll try it on because religion's in all of us. This, okay, I'll do it because I'm, I'm, I'm better. I'll do it so my dad doesn't get further angry with me. That's religion. We do things out of a fear of God, but we don't do it out of a love for God. And when I, when I want our children to apologize one to another, or when I have to apologize, it can't just be because I'm going to get told off if I don't. It should be out of a love for the person that I've offended and grieved. Are you catching this? Because if you catch it, it will keep us free. See, Jesus came to set us free. The trouble is we don't stay free because religion keeps making us legalistic. And so we learn some things about the Bible and we embrace them out of a fresh love for Jesus initially. And we experience the goodness of God. But as time wanes, goes on, we, we sometimes, you know, we, we've learned what to do. But the trouble is our heart's gone hard. And these messages are all about softening up our hearts again. So that we don't just do what we should do, but we do it with the right attitude. Because I will never be pleased with our kids when they look at one another in the eye and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I upset you so much. Not that you should have been in my bedroom anyway. How many as a parent are going to be happy with that? A good attitude is important to adopting good behavior. Is this making sense? The Bible says it this way in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, that your attitude and my attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Which puts to death, well, he was the son of God, so we don't have to be like him because that's his excuse. No, we should be like Jesus. And when you look at Jesus' attitude, it's amazing. When he's on the cross and people are mocking him and beating him and whipping him and abusing him, he says, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. And our attitude should be like that. Wow. Who's feeling a little bit short of the glory of God right now? Which proves we're all sinners because we struggle to do the right thing. And we find it really easy to do the wrong thing. And so this message tonight was inspired off the back end of our young people going away and having a breakthrough time in camp. And as a father of this house, and I'd like to think I'm not the only one, I'd like to think there are others who are fathers to these young ones, that it's our desire not for them just to have a breakthrough, but to give them some keys to sustain that breakthrough and turn breakthrough into victory. See, breakthrough comes in a moment, and they've had their moment. But victories come through adopting good habits over a period of time. That's how you get victory. 
And so that's why I felt to share this off the back end of the youth camp. The trouble is not everyone went on youth camp, but it's important that we all hear this. So while I've been inspired to share this based upon the youth camp, it's actually a message for all of us. Okay, so our attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. And so please turn with me to Matthew. I want to look at a portion of Scripture that has become known as the Beatitudes. In other words, the attitudes to be or beautiful attitudes to adopt. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Now then, when he saw the crowds, he went up to a mountainside and he sat down. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach them saying, and I should be like Jesus, so I'm going to sit down. Just thought about it, I'm just going to sit down like Jesus did. Oh. Do you feel that? No? And Jesus said, blessed are the cheesemakers. No, he didn't. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If I said to you, how many of you want to experience the kingdom of heaven here on planet earth? Oh, yes. Well, it's telling us how. Be poor in spirit. We're going to look at what that means. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Who would like to be comforted tonight? Okay, choice. Abused or comforted? Comfort? I'm going for comfort. Okay, well, be a person that knows how to mourn. Wow. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Who would like to inherit the earth? Come on. You're not answering because you think there's a catch. And there is. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be filled. We say, oh God, fill me, O oh Lord. God, come and fill me. Well, you can be full of God or you can be full of yourself. It's up to you. Or you can be full of a whole heap of things. A lot of people I know are full of it. I like this sitting down thing. I feel more anointed. It's just awesome. <laughs> It's good on the cameramen too, hey? Just, you can just go into the toilet now and just have a break and I'll just be here. Unless you don't want to, you don't have to, of course. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Who wants judgment? Who wants mercy? Well, be merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Who wants to see God? Blessed are the cheesemakers, no. In actual fact, the Amplified says, blessed are all dairy products. But anyway, anyway. You saw that coming? Yeah, I've been around a little. Maybe I should move churches, I've been around too long. You know, one of the things I loved more than anything and still do about my dad is the stories he tells. I've heard them billions of times. And I never tire of listening to them. So I hope that's the same for you with me anyway. <laughs> Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called sons of God. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now I imagine at this moment in time, Jesus stood up and started walking around. Because <laughs> I just don't think I can sit there all night, all right? And so there you have it. It's really quite simple. Christianity is actually very simple. The only thing that makes Christianity hard is not the book of Revelation. It's not. That's not what makes your life hard. It's not what makes my life hard. What makes our life hard and our Christianity hard and our walk with Jesus hard is because we don't like what we know we ought to do. That's what makes it hard. And we go kicking and screaming instead of just saying, yeah, I'm going to do that. If we just embrace the word of God at face value, our life would just be pretty cool. But we kick and we scream and we, and we just resist more often than not. And so what I want to do tonight, I don't think we'll get through all of them. We'll make this a two-part thing, okay? Just looking at the time. And I want to look at Jesus' attitude and his teaching. Because his teaching was a stark contrast to that which the people had heard. In actual fact, Jesus often said, you've heard it said this, but I tell you this. And that's what I feel a big part of my job as a preacher is. It's a big part of what my job as a father is. Our kids come and say, so-and-so, and I say, you've heard it said this? Well, I'm telling you that. You've heard that it's okay to sleep around, it's cool. I'm telling you something different. You've heard it said, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I'm telling you something different. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus said, you know, you've heard it, you know, to love your, those who love you. You've heard that. Yes, Jesus. Yes. Well, I'm telling you to love your enemies. What? Well, how else are you going to be different than the world? If all we have to do is what the world is doing, how are they going to know the difference between Christians and non-Christians? We have to be doing something different in order to be noticed. And so Jesus starts telling us what we ought to do. And so that's what we want to look at. We want to break down some of these attitudes. And so the first one we want to look at is this. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And the reason I want to go through them is because often we don't interpret correctly what Jesus is actually saying. And the poor in spirit is talking about an attitude toward ourself. The attitude that we have for ourselves is all important in how we behave. And Jesus is not saying here that we should think so little of ourselves. He's not saying that. He's saying that we should be humble. But humility is often misunderstood. Genuine humility is a correct examination of ourselves. False humility is to say, oh, I'm nothing. I'm useless. That's not true. The Bible says that you're the apple of God's eye. The, the Bible says that actually you were created for a purpose. 
And so that kind of thinking is not going to help you to behave correctly. At the same time, to interpret Scripture in such a way where you think you're just so much better than everybody else because you have Jesus in you and you act like an arrogant pig is not correct interpretation of this Scripture. It's saying that you need to be poor in spirit, recognizing that without God, I'm nothing, but with Him, I'm everything. That's what true humility is. It's recognizing our source of power. And as a result of there being a power at work in us through Christ, we bring that power under control because that's what humility is. It's a power that's under control. It's not a power to do whatever we like. Some people do that with the grace message. I think because I have the grace of God, I can do whatever I want because I'm forgiven. That's not humility. That's stupidity. Humility is, I was going to a lost eternity because of the sin nature at work in me. Because of the sin at work in me, I deserve to be punished by death. But it's recognizing there was one, Jesus, who went before me and died and paid the death penalty that that was over my life and as a result has set me free. And I humble myself before him and say, Lord, if it wasn't for you, then I wouldn't have any say in anything I do. And so I want to use my life to serve you. I want to use this power. I want to use this freedom. I want to use these life principles in your word to serve you. Because you can take some of these life principles in the word of God and use it just to make money. You can. But that would be to miss the point. And so being poor in spirit is an ongoing dependence upon God. And as a result of having God in you, you are bold and you are courageous and you are confident. But you know where that source of power comes from. And so when people say, man, I just want to say thank you for what you've done in my life. We we take that. We don't say, oh no, it wasn't me. It was God. No, it was you. Because if it was God, there wouldn't be all the problems that have been caused through you doing it. (laughs) But wherever someone has thanked me for what I've done in their life, I'll take that. And then in my time of prayer, I will go to God and say, Father, it's called laying down our crowns. That that thanks I received today, I give it to you because I realize that I never would have been able to bring that wisdom, understanding, insight, revelation, whatever it was that blessed somebody without you first putting it in my life. And I pray that you'd anoint me again to do it because I, I enjoy it. So I'm not going to be backward in coming forward. And I, and I have been misunderstood. People think I've been, I'm arrogant and big-headed. That's not the case. Well, sometimes it is. I've got to be honest. Sometimes it is. I do. Sometimes I get carried away with myself. I do. I just, that's part of that sin nature just rising. I do. But I think as a pattern, the majority of my life, I've been able to recognize those moments and just humble myself. Probably a great example of that is Jesus, who being like God, humbled himself and allowed himself to be whipped, beaten, battered and bruised, crucified, 
And yet he could have called legions of angels and just did away with the earth. David, who was a king that lived a few thousand years ago, probably one of the greatest kings Israel has ever had. He had everything at his disposal. And he says in one of the Psalms, I am poor and needy. He knew that with all his wealth, with all his power, with all his position, he was poor and needy. That's being poor in spirit. And so it's not being falsely humble. It's not saying, oh, I'm nothing. It's just recognizing a dependence on God. Can you do that, young people? Older people, can you do that? If you do, you'll adopt a beautiful Christ-like attitude. It says, blessed are those that mourn. And this has to do with the attitude toward our sin. Blessed are those that mourn. It's talking about us seeing sin as God sees sin. And we are to mourn over our sin and despise it because we know it breaks the heart of God. And this is one thing we don't see a lot of in a lot of Christians. We see people trying to blame somebody else for why they did what they did. It says, blessed are those who mourn. And we can only truly mourn when we see sin as God sees sin. In other words... If you feel bad because you've done the wrong thing, that's a good thing. It never ceases to amaze me that I can stand up here preaching or somebody else can stand up here preaching and say, when you said that, I felt really bad. And then we can write it off as just condemnation. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Yeah, but there's also a thing called conviction. And the Holy Spirit loves you enough to convict you of your sin. And then it's for us to acknowledge that and repent of it. And as a leader of this church, I've tried my best to model this because I am a perfect person. And you can't lead the same church for 16 years without making some mistakes. And I've made one or two. Three or four. Three or four. Every day. (laughs) I do. In actual fact, I think it's one of the biggest jokes in heaven that I get to lead a church, period. I think every day the angels just wake up. (laughs) It's it's weird. I certainly don't have tickets on myself. And there's been numerous times over the 16 years when I've had to apologize to you individually. And I've had to apologize to you collectively. Collectively. We saw that more recently when the moment got the better of me and I shared a few words which I wasn't proud of. And it's interesting, at that moment, nobody said, hey, I didn't like the way you did that. Everyone was actually celebrating the fact that they've got this liberal pastor who's able to use a few certain words in church. But you know what? I felt in God that I'd grieved him. And that's all I can say. And and, and I couldn't wait. I mean, Sunday could not come around quick enough for me to stand before you and apologize. And I've tried my best to model this. 
I mean, honestly, those seven days, I'm like, God, I just, I just wanted to come quick. Good Lord, may this week go really quick so I can stand before the people I love and just apologize. And I think something of that is what Jesus is talking about here. Blessed are those who mourn for their sinful actions. And I, did, I didn't beat myself up and you know, whip myself 27 times. I just wanted to make it right by apologizing and taking ownership. And you may have noticed, for those of you who are here, I didn't say, I just want to apologize for using some language the other day, but then again, you know, after all, you have put a lot of pressure on me as a church. I didn't say that, because that's not an apology. That's an excuse. An apology is, I'm sorry, I've done wrong. And it's interesting the sense of freedom that comes when you just take ownership. And we don't live in a society that does that well. We're forever looking to blame someone. Australia lost 4-0 in the soccer and it was the coach's fault. I think, man, that's a big call. Because there's a lot of variables. Let's just say the coach got it right. It still then comes down to the Australians playing well on the night. Which they didn't. And it still overlooks the fact that the Germans played really, really well. But we're a society that loves to blame someone for something. And last night, it was the referee's fault. Because apparently Australia can't lose soccer. We're that good, we can't lose on our own. And so it's the referee's fault. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But that's how it sounds to God. When we come to him and, and, and just say, oh, the reason I did that is because. He says, thank God, I'm so sorry. See, isn't it amazing when we start talking about experiencing the presence of God has more to do with our response to him than, can you pray for me, pastor? Well, you know what? You can come down the front tonight. We can pray for you. But if you've got unforgiveness towards your brother, not much is going to happen in your life. You want to see God? Repent. And you'll feel close to God again. Because I'm telling you, when our kids are living willfully against what I want for them, there's tension in our relationship. I still love them. My love towards them is unconditional. But the closeness is not there. You want to be close to God? You want to sense His presence? then get off your mighty horse and just and just say I was wrong. We grew up in a culture watching Happy Days, our, our generation, Generation X. And Fonzie taught us not to apologize. Whenever he was wrong, he said I was and he could never say it. I don't think there was ever an episode where he actually said those words. He said I was Remember that? I don't expect you to remember anything. I really don't. I don't expect you to know much either. We just, just. Let me go there with Twilight. You know what, you can look at it, it's just a movie. But you're not going to get too much that's going to feed your spirit watching that stuff. 
And I'm not saying you shouldn't watch it, because I think that's where it becomes religious. But can I just say this? If you are watching that stuff, you better make sure you're feeding yourself with the good stuff. So for every, every time you watch Twilight, and I know girls, for some of you, it's like thousands of times because you get to see Jacob without his shirt on. But how many times you read your Bible? That's when it becomes a problem. I've seen Twilight, so I'm not saying it's wrong. It is a bit boring, though. I am so not in love with that girl. She drives me nuts. I'm like, smile, woman. Snap her. I'm just like, come on. Gosh. Make your mind up. Do you like him or him? Or him? Just take it happy. Drives me nuts. But what it's doing is it's breeding a culture where that becomes cool. Being unhappy, withdrawn, pale, pasty. Are you getting cold? All right, let's turn the air conditioner off. That's fine. I'll sweat it out for Jesus. Because Alyssa's, I'm losing her. I'm losing her. She's, she's just, she, she's gone. <laughs> blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. It doesn't say, say, blessed are those who see twilight a thousand times. They're not going to be comforted. Number three, blessed are the meek. We'll finish with this one. And that's our attitude toward power. See, meekness is not weakness. Probably the best way to describe meekness to you is that of an incredible stallion that's been broken in. All the power is still there, but it's been bridled. And one of the things I hate about religion is that it try and makes everyone look the same. And we celebrate diversity here. We celebrate difference. But in the difference and in the different gifts that are in this room, we want all of those gifts to be bridled with the love of God. So that we use our gifts, not to bring glory to ourselves, but to bring glory to God. I believe it's possible to bring a rock star for Jesus. I do. Unfortunately, most people can't because they take the glory for themselves. I don't believe God intended it that way. And so it's not like, well, you can't do this and you can't do that, so we all become the same. It's, not, it's about having a, a meekness to be able to have all that power and all that giftedness and use it for him. See, people interpret this meekness as, you know, just turning over and rolling over and, and just being a pushover. And half the paintings you see of Jesus enforce that image. That Jesus was this weak, namby-pamby, sissified guy. And if he was, I would not be a Christian. Thank God I don't follow paintings, I follow the Word of God. Just think about the strength of this man. 
that can go to a bunch of Middle Eastern money makers, turn over tables, crack a whip, and nobody says anything. I mean, that takes guts. That's not like turn the other cheek. See, people think Jesus said turn the other cheek because he was a wimp and couldn't fight back. And so some of you get bullied week after week because you don't have the strength to fight back and you call it turning the other cheek. That is not what Jesus is talking about. On top of which, Jesus endures incredible suffering, beatings, floggings, and then he's forced to carry his cross. What you need to understand is that many men died at the flogging. They never got to carry their cross and be crucified because they died at the flogging. But Jesus was a man's man. He had a strength. So he wasn't a weak, sissified man. And some people think, because you have a bit of boxing in here on a, on a men's outreach night. You know, we're, we're, someone said to me, what about turn the other cheek? I said, how do you put that scripture in the context of a sporting event? I want you to get rid of this image that Jesus was this, this, this wimp of a guy that had no strength. He had strength to take people down. He had the authority to call 12 legions of angels to come to his aid. But he endured. And as Christians, sometimes we have to endure It's kind of like, I could take you, but I choose not to. Because it will bring disrepute and discredit to the church. So better me be mocked than the name of Jesus be thought less of as a result of me responding a certain way. It's like for some of you good looking guys. I mean, some of you, it's really easy to be a virgin before you get married. Because no one's interested in you. Presently, you've never had a proposition. That's the truth. It's, the, it's just the truth. Whether it's for looks, whether it's just because you're not interested, maybe you're so into other things, you're just not into girls yet, and, and, and you know, that's fine. I'm not even being funny. I know it sounded funny, but I'm, not trying, I'm just saying that's some people's reality. But there's others of you that you just, you've got a personality that's larger than life, you've got certain looks that make you more of a catch, more, more um, attractive to others? All of which God gave you? And you sit there thinking, oh, I'm such God gifted. If you are, that's because of God. Now what are you going to do with that power? Some of you girls, you have so much power at your disposals. Your disposal. You're beautiful. You just are. And that's not wrong. Went really quiet then. (laughs) It's not your fault. You're beautiful. And it would be wrong for you to say, oh, I'm not beautiful. It's good to know that you're beautiful. It's good to know that you can have a lot of guys. It's good to know that. And it's even better when you harness that power. 
and you don't use it to get what you want. Because some of you are so beautiful, you don't ever have to pay for another meal again. You can go to McDonald's with no money and someone will buy you McDonald's. And they will take you and you won't have to pay petrol money. And there'll be some other plainer girls who will just have to pay for McDonald's. How's this for thought? Just imagine, because some people shout you because of your looks, you take some of the money you've saved as a result of those God-given looks and then pay for the plain girl. Just a thought. This is practical, huh? You can't not understand this. This isn't, this isn't revelation. This isn't red dragons, green dragons, pink frogs. This is, this is like real stuff. Or you can keep fluttering your eyelids, getting your own way, and you grieve God. You get your free mackers, but you grieve God. See, it's not just about don't sleep with them. That's a given. Just don't mess with the young guys' heads. Lisa Bevere was asked, how far can you go in a physical relationship when you're not married? And she said, as far as you would in front of your father. Not far, huh? And if you do, it gets really awkward. (laughs) And God, our Father, doesn't say get a room. He says stop it. See, this is why people don't go into relationships prepared because they bring sex in too soon. The whole thing of abstinence is so that you can get to know that person. That's the point. See, God is not a party people. God has a point to everything. And most people have preached, if they've found the courage to preach at all in this area, it's don't have sex with no explanation. And can I say to the dads out there, you better have some talks with your daughters and with your sons. Because it's your responsibility. It's your God-given right. It's your God-given privilege to bring some God-given wisdom and to live a counter-culture to the one we live in. People say, I want to challenge. Christianity is boring. I'll give you a challenge. Don't have sex until you're married. There's a challenge. (laughs) Say no to drugs. There's a challenge when everyone else is doing something. There's a challenge. Christians aren't wimpy, weak people. They're strong people. They go against the tide. Never forget when I was 17. Can we have the band come? Just... When I was 17, I went around my friend's house for a movie and it ended up being a a setup for me to get me to do drugs. And by drugs, it was just, inverted commas, marijuana. And I tell you, something went off on the inside of me. I got so flipping mad. And I was outnumbered by about seven to one. And I was thinking, something just, a a switch in me flicked. I just, I was so ticked off. And I made a comment, you call yourself friends. You've set me up. 
to act as stupid as you guys. I said, if you want to do that, that's fine. I'm off. And this is what they said. Remember, they, they, can, beat, they can literally beat me up. Well, maybe. I think seven to one, I think I could have taken them. Just... <laughs> well, at least outran them, maybe. I don't know, whatever. They were shocked. They said, oh, sorry, I didn't know you'd feel that way. Well, we've actually got a video. Why don't we watch the video? And we watched the video. And I sat there watching this video with a smile on my face saying, this is weird. (laughs) And I watched them. None of them touched their stuff. It's quite cool. Isn't that a better story than, hey, these guys, they set me up and I end up smoking. Any idiot can do that. Anyone. But it takes real men. I want to change the perception of what a Christian is. A genuine Christian, a lover of God, is a strong person. Their love for God is so strong, they'll put up with ridicule. They'll put up with opposition. They'll put up with a whole heap of stuff for the sake of keeping that relationship right with Him. See, on a camp, it's easy because you're all there encouraging each other. And thank God for camps. We need those times. And yes, I'm talking to them, but I'm talking to all of us. But it's when you're by yourself and there's not that, which is amazing. And I'm not in your ear and it's just you. And there's a whole heap of people against you. And they're saying, what's wrong with sleeping around? And they pay you out for being frigid. And they pay you out for a whole heap of things. And then if you do sleep around, they call you a slut. It's like bizarre. And that's living the high life. Our attitude should be like that of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm sure there's a heavy weight of conviction in this place tonight because who amongst us is perfect? And I'm sure through some of the things I've shared, every one of us have fallen short in some points, including myself. But this is the great thing about Revelation, that God loves us and He speaks to us. I've done some really hurtful things toward my mum and dad and through adopting these principles and taking some ownership and mourning over some of the things I did, it it brought restoration and reconciliation back. And that's what can happen for you right here, right now. You don't have to go away feeling bad. You've just got to repent, which starts with ownership of your actions. And after I've repented, I say, God, fill me again, that I might live for you. But it does start with some serious decision-making on our part. You've got to draw a line in the sand. You can't go into it thinking, I'll see how we go. You've got to make your decisions in the cold light of day. 
If you haven't made him in the cold light of day, you won't make him in the heat of night. The reason I could say what I said to my friends about smoking drugs is because I decided a long time ago I was never, ever, 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 ever going to take drugs. Because my dad loved me enough and said, hey, mate, you can, you can do drugs, you can do smoking, you can do all that thing. But you know what? You're not going to be as healthy. You're not going to have as much money. Your breath will stink. Your clothes will smell. I thought, why would I want to do that? And so in the cold light of day, drew a line in the sand, and it makes those decisions that much easier. Will you stand with me? I'd love to make a moment right now to come down the front and we pray for you. But that'll ruin what I've actually shared because it will take away the importance of us making some decisions. I don't have a magic wand. I wish, if I did, I would certainly use it. I've prayed that God would give me a magic wand. It would make my job a whole heap easier. And every time I pray for a magic wand, he says, teach the people. So this is my wand. This is as good as it gets. And if you're happy to surrender to him tonight, why don't you just raise your hands to him? It's up to you. It's between you and God. You want your attitude to be more like him. Not so you can boast and say, look at me. Even that story I told about my friends and the drug. It, it's not a story that I'm boasting in. It's, it's thank you, Jesus, that you've rescued me and saved me from going the way of so many others. Jesus, we come before you tonight and surrender our hearts afresh to you. We surrender to you because you're a good God and because you love us and because you want the best for us. And we come before you tonight and we get real with you because we realize, Lord, that our attitude has not altogether been good. We lie by nature, we cheat by nature, we blame by nature. We abuse by nature, we take by nature. And every one of us in this room has been guilty of that at varying levels, in varying ways, at varying times. And so we just come before you and ask for your forgiveness. And we ask, dear God, in this place of openness and vulnerability, you would come into our hearts afresh and and stir us and strengthen us to live a life that is worthy of the calling of Christ. Help us to be a people that mourn. Help us to be a people that are meek. Help us to be a people that are more like you. We draw a line in the sand tonight and say from this time forth, we want to choose you. We thank you for the young ones that have had incredible breakthroughs over camp. But Father, we pray for the wisdom beyond their years to make good decisions. And we pray for the strength to be able to stand. You know, church, a daily prayer of mine, and I don't think I'm exaggerating in saying this. I pray for wisdom to know what to do, for courage to hold on to my convictions, and for strength to walk them out. That is my daily prayer. 
And where I fail in those things, I ask for forgiveness. And where I succeed in those things, I say thank you to Jesus. And I pray, dear God, for wisdom, courage, and strength to be the portion of every person in this place tonight in Jesus' name. And everyone said, let's give the Lord a hand. He's an awesome God. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And God bless.